Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right, we're back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. And we this is a twofer. This is one of the few episodes where you guys get two guests for the price of one episode. We got Mitchell England and Travis Dillard with us on the show today. Uh, these guys are rock stars. Um, they are from Cadia Capital Group and also from the Zero to 100 tribe, trying to get new investors to 100 units as the name implies, zero to 100. Um, so I'm super excited to have them on. They uh, they focus on mobile home parks, which I love talking about because it's something that we look at too. Um, and then also pretty much everything you can think about. So Mitchell, Travis, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, it's always fun when we have... Uh, you know, I've done a few episodes where we've had multiple people on the show and it's always fun to try to figure out who's going to talk next. And so it'll be a little dance that we play here. That's so going to be the challenge here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to keep you guys sense. on this one. Mitch wants uh, to so, talk Exactly. So we start with... Uh, we like to start with stories. So Mitchell, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop you, put you in the hot seat here. Why don't you take us back to the beginning of your story? How'd you get started in the real estate? Yeah, Gabe, thanks for having me here. Um, awesome to be on the podcast. You know, I... I started young. I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was like 16 years old, and um, and I, I also worked at the airport. I was in aviation young, and so I was around a lot of entrepreneurs who were who were you know well ahead of me, investing in real estate, building businesses. And I had this aha when I was like 16. I'm like, why are all these people flying airplanes on a Tuesday while I'm like you know, or most people are going to work? And so I started to sort of like model, or, or I guess you say study these these successful people and ask questions like, what are you doing? And, and real estate kept coming up, right? It's like, oh, I fly airplanes and I have a business and I and I own real estate. It's like this very like repeated statement, right? So 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 learning and and being around these folks really changed my life. And so when I was really young, I started picking up, you know, the right books and reading and and trying to explore. Uh, I, I dove into my first piece of property when I was 19. It was a land deal vacant piece of land, um, you know, didn't know what I was doing, but I'm like, Hey, everyone's making money in this thing. You know, let's, let's, let's try this. So I did an owner's contract, did another land deal, ended up doing four land deals, um, and, and really speculative, speculative purchases. Cause I didn't really know what investing was. Right. So, so that's kind of how I started. I mean, the story goes on and on, right. Like we I ended up getting into some small, smaller cash flow properties. And then of course today we're, we're in the mobile home park space, like you, like you talked about, but it started young for me. I took my from 19 to probably 28 or so, the school hard knocks, trying a lot of different asset classes and really trying to figure out like what works, what makes money and what's just like a risk I shouldn't be taking. So that's how I got started. Nice, man. I love it. Yeah. it's uh, Especially when you just get started, it's so hard to uh, focus in on because what you need to do is focus in on one asset class, get good at it and crush it. Um, Amen. It's so It's so easy to get that shiny object syndrome. I did it myself. And I feel like everybody who gets started, they have that problem where they just jump from thing to thing to thing. So I feel you there. Um, but it's a good story. I mean, you made it to where you are today. So we love it. Uh, Travis, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Why don't you take us back to the beginning of your story? How'd you start in real estate? Yeah, I turned... Uh, I know Mitch said he's like, he's young and he bought land. That's impressive. I was actually 12 and bought my first 500 unit apartment building. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, come on. Know. You're the guy. You're the guy. <laughs> yeah, right. right on. 
No, nothing, not even as not nearly impressive as Mitch. I um, was in the military, got out, um, and my my aunt and uncle said, Hey, you need to buy a house. And that's how I got into real estate. And I had a VA loan um, at a sweet eight and a half percent interest in 2000. Wow. Um, yeah, right. So, eight people, and a half percent, huh? I've in been 2000. here before, man. Yeah, I've been in this rate <laughs> environment. And then I, um, yeah, so I bought a little 714 square foot house, um, walled off half the garage, and um, kind of turned it into a pseudo bedroom and then rented out the other bedroom. It was a two bedroom to initially. And I was doing house hacking before that was a thing. And they were paying <laughs> off my mortgage. And I thought that was interesting. And yeah, from that, like Mitch, pretty, pretty similar, dabbled in some, a couple of single family things. Um, when I started my business, I, I did a triple net office building. Um, and then sort of the aha moment for me is when I bought a duplex and lived in one side and then rented both out. I'm like, oh, more, more doors, more cash flow. That's interesting, less risk. So, and then from there, met Mitch and we scaled pretty quickly after that. But yeah, that, that was, that I just condensed like 20 years into, you know, like 45 seconds. Nice. No, I love it. And, you know, house hacking, that is a great strategy. Anybody out there who wants to get started, it's a great one to do. Um, and that's, I mean, everybody knows what it is. It's basically when you buy, buy a property and then you live on one side, rent out the other, or you sublease a property um, or you, you know, you rent out a property and then sublease it. Uh, great strategy. Love, uh, love when, you know, people get started doing that. And Travis, it sounds like it worked out well from you, but you guys didn't start there. Um, you're in mobile home parks now. So give me just a taste. I know, you know, 20 years is hard to condense down, but give <laughs> me a taste of what happened since you guys first, you know, got those few, first few properties and what brought you to where you are right now. I mean, I could jump in and Mitch can fill in. I mean, I think Mitch and I met in 2017. And, um, you know, at that point, we had spent a latter part of what, 10, maybe me, 20 years. I'm a little older than Mitch, not much, just like a couple, a couple of years. <laughs> like 10, 15 years, something right, like that. Right, right. Yeah. He calls me a baby boomer all the time, which is not true. <laughs> so yeah, so we um, we got together and I think, you know, it's rare when you you sit, we met at like a fundraiser or something. And it's rare when you meet someone else that's as nutty as you and all of a sudden you're geeking out on, you know, cap rates and, and things like that. And so we just started hanging out. Mitch has now become my business partner and best friend. But, you know, I think at that point we're asking ourselves, why is it that some people can scale to like hundreds, if not thousands of units? And we've been beating our face into a wall for like 10 to 20 years to get a couple hundred dollars a month in cash flow per home and running applications and, you know, fixing toilets and stuff like that. And we just dove deep. We actually kind of slowed down to speed up. We spent two years, I'd say, attending every mastermind, reading every book, just really dr drilling in. And like the aha moment was like, how do you scale quickly? How do you like potentially partner with people with capital? How do you go with bigger properties? How do you force appreciate? And and from then we we got together and bought our, um, I think our first purchase was a mobile home park mm. that I did a 1031 out of that duplex. And Mitch came in, he, I think he had cash from a, a house hack or a, not a house hack, a house flip. And then I think the, the rest is history, Mitch. I don't know if you want to, to add layer in there, but that's, that's the condensed version. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it on the head. Like we, we asked that question, why do people scale and why do some live, you know, go 30, 40 years with, with five units. And so first started with education experience surrounding ourselves with the right people. And then it was like, jump off the deep end. You know, we, we bought this mobile home park. We, here's our, here's our thesis. Okay. We're like, look, we want to buy all over the country. We want to, we don't want to be like operating our properties like day-to-day -day boots on ground. So we bought a, we bought a park in North Carolina, 2000 miles away from our home. And we forced the hand. We basically said, look, like we're, not, we're we can't be driving by this thing. We can't be like filling units. We can't be talking to tenants. And so, um, so Travis calls me the next morning. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, well, I'm, I feel like I'm going to throw up. This is the, the day after we close. You know? I already threw up. <laughs> and, and I'm like, how are you? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sick, man. You know, cause we were nervous and, but, but we took that leap and we figured it out. We struggled a little bit on that first one, but once we figured that the, how to manage and how to 
hold our our management, you know, responsible. And we 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 switch managers a couple of times, but once we like figure out the model to succeed and keep the park full, we're like, oh my gosh, the whole country's open to us. We can go find awesome markets, awesome cash flow properties, and buy because we've figured out this framework. But it took that first jump off the cliff, build the plane on the way down sort of experience. And it was a cliff because as soon as we closed on it, it started plummeting downhill. So it forced us to really figure it out and oh, yeah. put systems in place and understand asset management and those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what you got to do. That's the only way to do it. Um, there's a point at which you just got to make the leap. Uh, everybody, you know, if you're just getting started out and you're listening, you're going to run into this situation too, where you're you're going to go in above your head, but you have to make that leap. You got to trust that you can you can solve the problems as they arise. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be on the sidelines your entire life and you're going to buy five houses in 10 years and you're going to have $500 per month, uh, which is not going to be fun. So I love that you guys did it. And, you know, I've had that experience too. It's super, definitely scary when you make that leap, um, especially mobile home parks, because there's a lot that you need to know about them. You know, people always compare it, say that it's easier than multifamily. I don't really feel like it's easier because yeah. it's really difficult to find management. That is the hard part of mobile home parks is getting good management. So you guys bought this mobile home park out in North Carolina, thousands of miles from where you are today. Um, bring us through like, what was your strategy to flip it? What was the current condition? Was it infill or was it just, you know, under market rents? Um, tell us about it. Um, I, well, I could jump in and Mitch layer in too. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. I was looking for 10 caps <laughs> and I sort of learned the hard way about park owned home income and how that doesn't oh, capitalize. Yeah. Right. Well, I didn't look, well, I, I should say we figured out, we figured that out ahead of time a little bit. That's back when you could buy 10 cap, you know, parks, mobile home parks were at 10 caps. And in fact, we still own that. We saw that park when we were in contract. That's a funny story because we actually spent the night with the seller. Like those old mom and pop. He's like, oh, hang out here, stay with our house. And I've, I've had well, sellers do that to me too. I'm like, oh, okay. It's fun, right? It's a, it's a, and so, um, yeah, and it's half actually long-term RV, which is interesting. Okay. And we haven't had that much success with long-term RV since. So, but it's a, it's in New Bern, North Carolina. It's a good location. And so um, I think the biggest piece there was the owner list kind of lived, they had a house right next door, typical. So he was involved with everything. And when we, you know, we, we hired an offsite property manager, because that's what we thought you did with multifamily. And that's a, in, in our, in our world, that's a big mistake. We like all of our communities. We have onsite managers that report to our asset manager. So the on the professional offsite manager, I think it was like an experiment and they failed miserably. They couldn't fill pads and this RVs were leaving. They weren't filling them back in and, and our occupancy rapidly plummeted. And so it was, it was really finding tenants in the community to step up and be the managers um, and then sort of manage them. And that's, that's really what turned it around. They, they, you know, these people lived in the park for 20 years. They, they understand the nuances of, of the park and the infrastructure. And, and so, yeah, we still hold it today. Have, have we were in, we, we haven't visited since actually our asset manager has been out there. We need to get out there and visit it, but it's a great performing park and, a, you know, consistent cash flow. And so we manage it from afar. Mitch. Nice. Yeah, well, that property is great because it taught us. It, it gave us sort of a bot, a model, and we stumbled through to find this. Like we didn't find this model day one, but today we have an in-house asset manager because once we got that on-site manager, we're like, hey, we don't want to take phone calls from the, the on-site manager. Like we want to be looking for deals, and we want to we're lifestyle event, investors. We want to, you know, live our life and in, in, in on our own terms, right? We don't want to be taking phone calls all the time from different managers. So today we have an in-house asset manager is kind of a hub and spoke model. She manages multiple managers. And so we put her in place relatively soon in our adventure because we, we thought, look, yeah, it's going to cost a little bit of money. We're going to give it, we're going to give up some of our cash flow, but it'll give us the time to go build 
relationships with investors, go build, go find deals, go scale our portfolio. And so today, like that little part, that first little part through sort of some, the school of hard knocks gave us the model for what we, what we are today, which is like in-house hub and spoke model. She manages all the managers that way we're not getting phone calls and texts all the time. And then weekly she can report to us, right. All of our KPIs and everything we've, we've sort of established for her to report. So, so yeah, I was like getting punched in the face for a couple, six, eight months. And then all of a sudden you're going, Hey, like let's do this times 10 and, uh, and do it all over the country. Hmm. Um, so you guys, I'm just going back to what Travis said. You guys found somebody that actually currently lived in the park to manage the property. Um, you didn't find, because we've tried this before ourselves, um, and we found that people who live there already have a difficult time taking on that leadership role because they've been living with these people for 20 years. Um, but you guys did that didn't seem to be an issue with you guys. You you were able to find somebody who already lived there to be uh, to be a reliable manager for the entire park. Yeah, I mean, I think we got lucky. All of our parks have. Um, residents and owner homes that live in the communities and they have a lot of pride in the community. And so that's worked out really well. I would say, yes, some manage, some of our onsite managers are better at pounding on doors and collecting rent and enforcing rules and others. And that's really where our asset manager layers in. If difficult conversations need to be happen, or if there's the really sticky tenants with collection issues that we, that our onsite managers can't, can't get the job done, then our our asset manager get they escalate to our asset manager and she makes the call and, and collects the rent or handles the eviction. So it's a bit of a hybrid model. We have some managers that are just fine walking around pounding on doors, posting notices and and making sure because we we actually bonus our managers um on collections. And so oh, that's okay. that's a big incentive for them. That that seems to work really well. Yeah. Um so once you guys bought that first mobile home park, you it sounds like you guys have stuck with mobile home parks. Um have you expanded to different asset classes or is it just uh I mean mobile home RV that's your your bread and butter there? So we we bought uh you know several mobile home parks but then we found a couple um basically a couple assets in our backyard that we we decided to sort of step outside the niche of mobile home parks. So we we own a a, a short-term RV park as well as a boutique hotel. And mm. so we have, we're sort of, uh, which is a small part of our portfolio, but they are assets that, uh, that we felt like, you know, we, we basically applied the same sort of logic to where we're like, look, we can step in, make this business better. We can force appreciate. We can, we can send more dollars to the bottom line where these are both local to us. So we really understand the area. We understand the demographics. We understand the need for, for sort of high level accommodations. And so, so these, you know, those two assets, yeah, they fall outside of sort of our, sort of our target, like perfect property being, being like a over 50 in a mobile home park. However, they provided awesome, like opportunity for upside. And so what we, what we tell people in these, especially like within zero to 100 tribe, we tell people, look, choose your niche, get to what we call R1 retirement one, where you have enough cash flow to stop working and W2 and, and all that, like where you, it paid for your life. And then you can kind of adventure out. Right. And so I think there's, you know, there's, there's this idea, like you got to focus to like, get to that R1. But then after you get there, you can, you can explore a little bit and start applying the same lessons you learned on in your niche to other asset classes. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit here and talk about the zero to 100. Um, so this is something that you guys created a community you guys created to help people get to 100 units. Uh, what was the, um, what kind of motivated you guys to create this community and then uh, give us, you know, the the top strategies that you guys suggest to your own students um, to get to those first 100 units. Well, yeah, I'd love I love. Oh, go ahead, Mitch. Sorry. 
Well, I'll, I'll take this and then uh, Travis jump in. Um, you know, when, when we talked about that, you know, total our story, when we were sitting there 2017, we asked, how do you scale past five, 10 units? How do you get to multiple hundreds of units? That was like, you know, we, after that, we dove into education, all that stuff, experience, masterminds, everything else. And so like, once we figured that out, we scaled, we, this was probably about a year, two, two years ago, we sat down and we said like, what did we do? What's the cocktail to this? Like, what was the formula? So now today with zero hundred, we're taking what we did. And even though our, our road was a little bumpy because like we didn't really have a community like this, we're taking what we did and we're, when we're packaging it, right? We're putting it into a framework. And so within zero to 100, there's, you know, like we have the five pillars. We have mindset, education, deals, investors, and operations. And we dive into all those pillars and we teach exactly what we did. We have, you know, we we refer people to different books. We have, we have calls, we have, um, we have multiple people leading, other, you know, multiple calls within the platform. And we, we really dive in and we like, we do our best to download the information that we learned to where people can experience very, very fast scale versus like this slow linear growth that most investors experience. So Travis, jump in. Yeah, I think the for me the thing that really excites me about zero to one hundred is like it's not about how much money can, you can put in your bank. It's really we, everything's looked at through the lens of time, and um, so you know a lot of it is like very prescriptive. Um, exactly how we structure deals with investors, the software we run, the pro forma tools, like all of those sorts of things. So it's a community, it's education, um, and you couple those two together, and I think it's really impactful. And, and our students and our members have had a lot of success. But we talk about like the PT ratio. This is actually Mitch's idea, but it's like, you know, yeah, I could flip a house or I can do a development project and put a thousand hours in, or I can buy a property and I can improve the net operating income and force appreciate it by a million dollars in, you know, 36 months or whatever. So, so those are the types of things that we look at. And it's, it's more about, it's also like what to do, but also what not to do. You know, you're not going to hear us talking about flipping and land banking and a lot of things that we sort of stumbled around in our twenties and thirties on Mitch is still in his thirties. But, um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's very prescriptive about like, how do you scale and how do you scale smartly, but how do you do it with like the time, freedom, peace in mind? And how do you do it quickly? Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great resource for anybody getting started. Um, education is so important. I, I don't like people getting stuck there because it is so easy to get stuck in the always education, totally. never action um, moment. But it sounds like you guys are, are really focused on action as well. Um, so is this you know, zero to 100? Is it focused only on mobile home parks? Or do you guys suggest people go into single family, you know, other assets, self storage, industrial, that kind of stuff? We have um, no, it's not focused on mobile home parks. Obviously, the, the, that's, that's our first love still is our first love. Um, but I'll, I would say that, yeah, we recommend specific asset classes. Like you said, we're big on pick an asset class, get to R1, break through that wall get your time back, take a breath. Then what do you want to do? What's R2? What's R3? But we have like asset classes we like, apartment buildings, obviously, multifamily, mobile home parks, RV parks, self-storage. But people, we let them pick their asset class. And we have, you know, we built guides around that. And then we give them reading assignments around the asset class they pick. And then we have mentors in the the tribe that sort of aligns with their asset class. So I don't know. It's like, yeah, we're not going to tell you to flip a house, but we do give you, we like low time investment, high cash flow type investments. Um, right on. Well, hey, man, I uh, I just took a peek at the clock. It looks like we've already run through our uh, our twenty minute allotment, so it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you guys ready? Yeah, we'll alternate. Let's do it. Let me start with Mitch. Let's do it. All right, Mitch starts with books or any form of education. Um, I think you guys already gave us a book, uh, if I remember correctly. Or this might have been somebody else. Excuse me for that. But uh, the first question is about education. Give me two recommendations: 
one for general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. Oh my gosh. Uh, general life wisdom. I admit it's go rich dad, poor dad. You might say that's a real estate investing book, but there's so much more in there. There's just the, the way you look at life in my mind changes. Um, real estate, I got to plug our own book. We're, we're, we're working on zero to 100 units, which is, um, which we, we lay out basically the path to go literally from zero to something more to, uh, to raising capital, to scaling, like really, re- we really dive into the framework there. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's what we're about two years in and we're about two months from releasing. So, so come check out our book. Sweet. Um, and where can they find that book? So zero, the, so zero Z E R O to the number 100 tribe.com. Cool. Um, Travis, next question is for you. Let's go back to your younger self. Um, the one who is, let's say just starting his uh, tech startup way back in the day, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Surround yourself with people that are doing big things. Um, and it will expand your mind as quickly as possible. Nice. That is great advice. It is surprising how much that matters. Um, you know, you don't feel like it matters and maybe you meet somebody just one time and you don't really feel like it, it, it changed you that much. But if you really do surround yourself with people that are a couple steps ahead of you, um, that makes such a tremendous impact on, on your own mindset and your own ability to take action and, and move yourself forward. I think the re- it really comes down to your standards because it just makes you realize like, okay, I, I can do this. These guys are doing it. I can do it. There's no problem. So love that answer. Going to our next question, Mitchell, this one's for you. First three positions we hire form the foundation of our business. So what were the first three positions you guys hired for? And would, and, uh, would you do it differently in terms of order if you did it again today? Well, I'll be honest, we have one employee. Um, and so my 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 answer is don't hire too many people, first of all. Hire as little people as you can and and hire hire software when you can. Use software systems and processes and checklists. We always say in our company, we always say hire software before people because people are challenging. Uh, our asset manager, she's more than an asset manager. She manages all the property. She also manages, you know, our business. She also she helps she helps out in so many ways. And so having somebody at the core of your business that really is the, is the connector is the, is the manager is a, is an assistant is an admin. Um, but also making their job easy and, and, and sort of predictable is, is been really, really great. And so that's like defining the role and giving them checklists and giving them the right, the right software tools to manage their business. So like number one, don't hire people if you can avoid it. Number two, hire one really, or, you know, maybe a couple really, really dedicated people that you can, that most importantly that you can trust. So many people get caught up in like trying to find the right skill set. You can teach skills, but you got to find somebody you can trust in your business because these are folks that have access to your bank accounts and all your information. And, and so so for, for me, hire somebody you trust and, and keep your personal account low. Yeah, I like that answer too. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you guys got one full-time hire. I'm sure you use tons of VAs uh, for your marketing and all that stuff. Uh, not too many VAs. So we're, 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 we're probably going to hire a couple of VAs for zero to 100 coming up here. But right now we have one in-house employee. That's it. Of course, we have property managers, right. That are sort of third party uh, employees of the different assets. And then, and then we have third party advisors, you know, lawyers, attorneys, like everybody else. But, but right now we have one, one full-time employee. Cool. All right, uh, Travis, this next one's for you. This is about the U.S. Big, big place. A lot of opportunity out there. Give me the single metro, the single city you guys are most excited about investing in today. Well, we're not there yet, but I would say um, not. we're not in like um, primary markets. But me personally, I'm excited about sort of tertiary markets or secondary markets around Atlanta and Georgia. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like Georgia. I think I think um, a lot of people have moved to Florida for the sun and vacation and retirement, and it's getting really expensive. And so I see that as a good path of progress. People, they or you know, Georgia. I'd say it's Georgia. I mean, you know, mobile home parks, right? You can't really pick a metro. You kind of got to go landlord friendly, population, job diversity. You kind of go to go, you have to go where the parks are. But I would yeah. say Georgia in general. Yeah. 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 Georgia. Um, we've been looking at that too. Um, Georgia's really, really great state to, to invest in. Um, all right. Next question is lost my spot. Do this every single time. There we go. Uh, Mitchell, what is your guys's favorite way to find good deals? Oh my gosh. That's a really, really good question. I, I think, honestly, I think broker relationships is my number one, like recommendations. I think people, people think about brokers as like just having on market listings where, when in reality, like they bring most of the off-market deals as well. There's a mm-hmm. ton of properties that trade sort of before they hit the market. And especially in mobile home parks, because like the owners don't want their tenants knowing they want it quiet. They want it like, and you know this. So, so for me, like building good broker relationships, it, it creates like, it creates leverage. They're out there looking for you and they know your criteria. So that's, um that's where I go first. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of, uh, um, that didn't really sink in for me until recently, actually, that uh, that brokers they are a good source of off market deals um, because yeah. I, I always hated working with brokers because they asked for prices that were like a four cap and interest rates are seven and it just right. didn't make sense and they always put right. in the the uh, tenant owned home um, income or the park owned home income and it and just completely POHC, throws right. off the cap rate uh, and so I just thought it was a complete waste of time but then you know over time I t- talked to more brokers and you realize like these guys are actually out there doing the work that that you're doing. But they're, you know, they have a lot of deals and they can get, you can get good deals through brokers, especially um, if it's a good broker and they know how to, to work with the, the seller to find a, a reasonable sales price. So uh, good answer. Love that one. Moving on to the next question. And this is about a deal gone bad. Uh, not all deals are, are roses. Sometimes things hit the fan. Um, and so in those moments are our biggest lessons. So what was the biggest lesson you learned through a deal or just some, you know, some major incident, uh, gone bad? Well, I could take that one. Um, if it's in the portfolio that Mitchell and the Kadia capital owns or Mitchell and I own together, I would say, I wouldn't say like horrifically bad, but, um, we, we purchased a property that, um, that was just smaller. I mean, it was inexpensive. It was in Arkansas. Um, but it, we didn't lose money. We actually just exited and got our money back out of it. But it was just kind of a waste of time. It was small. Yeah. The, the pad rents were really low. And and again, you have to look at everything through the lens of time. And like, what are we doing? The opportunity cost here. And it wasn't really us managing it. It was our asset manager. But that's an opportunity cost. She could yeah. be focused on a, a a larger park, you know, a bigger park. And so I think lessons learned are is like, get really clear about what you want. I think we're big on scale and going bigger and with bigger properties, you can, you have enough cash flow and equity upside to, you know, bring in investors if you want to and give them a really nice return and also enough money to pay the the property managers. And so I would say it's a size matters. I mean, there's some other stuff where we wish we'd have come in more capitalized. I think that's a big mistake. A lot of people make. Um, and then also we're pretty lucky. We, we were pretty strategic on the debt that we placed on our properties. Um, right now it's tough. The very last one we purchased, we're still holding. You know, there's some debt challenges that we're just working through. It's not that big of a deal, but I would say just like come in, capitalize, and you know, especially the lessons learned. I don't always think that you know rates are going to be at four, you know, three, four percent. We're so we're looking at our portfolio on stuff where debt comes matures, and we're looking at okay, well, can we operate this property at 
10% interest? And the answer is yes, because our debt hurdle is so high. We're always focused on really solid cash flow. Um, you know, we're like 50% leverage now in a lot of these, keeping your rents up, keeping, you know, just being a, a good steward of your asset helps protect you for sort of things like, I don't know, the Fed jacking rates up as, you know, at the fastest rate at any time in history. Yep. Man, I, uh, I like both of those things you said. Uh, one, come in more capitalized than you think that you need to be. This has happened to me more than more often than I would like to admit, um, or I did not put enough capex in there, and I wish that I did. Um, it doesn't kill the deal, but it's just you don't get to where you want to get to as fast as you'd like to get. And right. then second, uh, don't go after small deals. I'm actually I've learned that lesson multiple times. You see those small deals, and they're such low pr- purchase prices, and you're like, oh, right. I could I could just get this one done, but. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way, and it's just not worth the time. It's like why, why go put all your effort into this property for two, three thousand bucks? Um, it's like it's not worth it. So love those, uh, both of those suggestions, and that leads us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. You guys have given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. Uh, what do you guys have to offer? And then uh, where can people reach out and get in and uh, say hi? So the best spot is uh, look us up 0to100tribe.com. I mentioned before, 0 to the number 100tribe.com. Um, come come join our community for free. It's uh, it's easy to join and you can message us on the platform there. And, uh, you know, what are you, and then connect with a lot of other investors across the country. So that's the best place to find us. Um, if you want to find us on Instagram, the real Mitchell England, and I think it's the real Travis Diller as well. So he copied me on that. No, that's not true. Mitch copied me, but we're, we're not. <laughs> here. Yeah. The real Travis Diller, the real Mitchell England. Yeah. That's funny. All right. That sounds good. I'll put that link in the show notes, zero to 100 tribe and zero is spelled out with, uh, with letters. So if you guys want to reach out, just click a little more in the description, it'll pull down that full description in there. You can find their link. All right, Mitchell, Travis, that wraps it up. Thank you guys very much for hopping on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Gabe. Take care. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. And as always, if you guys want to support the show, just give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the invest with us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.